Welcome to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 53, The Power of Tears and Crying. It's August 11th, 2022. I'm your host, Lisa A. Lundy, author, blogger, YouTuber, motivational speaker, and podcaster, obviously. I'm also a member of the Newsweek Expert Forum. What I do is I help people be happy, healthy, and well-loved, even when life is very difficult. As my disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute therapy or medical advice in any way, and my music is by Howie Mastovich. The Power of Tears and Crying I've got news for you. Tears and crying can be very good for you, and I'm going to talk about that in this podcast. Yet we in society and in in the world, we don't have a lot of room for tears and crying. We don't typically have a great response to that. So I'm hoping that this podcast will kind of open you up and open up the conversation about tears and crying and give you some things to think about. And I do want to give you a little warning. I could get teary-eyed. I could cry. I could get a little choked up because I'm going through the grieving process of not only grieving my mother who passed away in November, but I'm grieving six other very significant life challenges that have been deeply painful. So I'm going through the grief process and it's possible. Like I got choked up in my podcast on the power of finishing things unexpectedly. So now I'm giving you a little fair warning and I have an upcoming podcast that on death, not on dying, just on death. And uh, I think that will be helpful too and will support um, the kind of the series. And I do have a separate podcast on grief and loss. So this is not the podcast about that. This is a podcast just simply about tears and crying. So what would be amazing would be to have our culture and society in the world have a greater capacity for tears and crying and a greater allowance for that. So let's get started. What am I going to cover in this podcast? Well, I'm going to talk about tears and crying, why people cry and tear, crying as a signal for anger or frustration. Tears are crying when you're actually crying about something else. Our cultural and society response to tears or crying. I'm going to give you one interesting religious view on tears or crying, the benefits of tears and crying, setting aside any tears or crying or grief for a future date, living life with no regrets, and I'm going to give you then some steps to start to grow yourself, to grow your abilities so that you have a greater capacity for tears and crying, some takeaways, and a call to action. Now, if you're new to my website, I hope you're going to visit it at www.lisaalundy.com where my hope is that you'll enter my giveaway to win a free book. So I have a giveaway called Look, Look, I Want a Book. I know. I'm just shipping out copies today from people who won. Uh, And I apparently, apparently I love giveaways. People love giveaways. So it's fun. And I like to do what's fun because life is hard. The next piece is my disclaimer. 
I am not a medical health professional or therapist in any capacity. You as a human being should get your medical or therapy advice from a licensed provider, a licensed health care provider of which I'm not. So this podcast is not intended to be medical or therapy advice. If you happen to be listening to this podcast and you're hopeless or you, know, you feel terribly defeated or you feel suicidal or you're thinking of harming yourself, I'm asking you to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That number again is 1-800-273-8255. What I'm asking you to do I'm asking you to tell someone, I'm asking you to talk about it, I'm asking you to get help because there is help available. And in my personal opinion, in my humble opinion, you should have no shame or embarrassment about asking for help. I do it all the time, people. (laughs) So just ask for the help you need. That's that. So it's interesting because the definition of crying in the dictionary is shedding tears. That's the definition. Of course, they have some other definitions related to, you know, animal sounds, uh, you know, or like an onion crying, whatever. But primarily it's shedding tears. Now, if you look at tears, tears are um, secreted, you know, in all land mammals. And they're made up of water, electrolytes, proteins, lipids, and mucins that form layers on the surface of the eye. Now there are three different types of tears, like you can think of when you peel an onion, your eyes will get watery, or if you get into the smoke at a fire pit or something, you know, your eyes might start to water, and then there's emotional tears. What's interesting is that the makeup of your tears are different if they're emotional tears versus reflex tears or basal tears. So we're on the same page. We're talking about tears and crying. So what are the reasons why people either cry or get teary-eyed? Well, one common one, probably one of the most common ones, is because of grief or loss or grief and loss. Another one is Maybe they're not grieving, but they're feeling sad or they're feeling hurt. Or sometimes tears come or crying comes because you're so relieved. You're relieved that something bad didn't happen or you're really happy and relieved something good happened. Happiness and joy are another source of tears and crying. Anger, interestingly enough, anger and frustration like from upset or betrayal or being treated badly are another source of tears. I'm going to talk about that in a, in a bit. We often sometimes cry or get teary-eyed when something touches our heart deeply. So an example of that would be watching a movie. And, and that could be from you know someone else's joy or someone else's pain. Or you know your own pain, obviously. Physical pain in the body can cause crying or tears. And being in depression, either just regular depression or in a major depressive episode, can also result in tears or crying. So those are the most common. That's seven, roughly, different reasons why people cry or tear up. And I think that's important. Because next, we're going to talk about 
why people don't cry. Why don't people cry or why do they hold back tears? And I'm covering this, by the way, because some people really need to have a breakthrough in crying and tears. Where they need to have a breakthrough in their ability to allow themselves to cry or be teary-eyed when it's appropriate. So here's a top 15 reasons why people either don't cry or they hold back tears. Number one, they're embarrassed or ashamed to cry either in public or in front of others. They were told not to cry as a young child, or they were sent to their room if they were sad, crying, or mad. They have low emotional abilities. In other words, they're not in touch with their emotions. Next, they have misconceptions about people who cry, or they stereotype people who cry. Obviously, not in a good way. They might have mental health problems. They might have serious depression that has a kind of numbness to it or a hopelessness about it. Uh, they might not cry because there's some peer pressure not to cry. They might not cry because of environmental constraints. They might not feel it's masculine if they're a man. Trauma, traumas, or traumatizing events, either in the past or in the current, could cause someone not to cry. Fear of being vulnerable or having vulnerability issues. Being a minimizer, and I will mention being a minimizer is common, and it's a cognitive distortion. And at some point in the future, I'm going to do a podcast about co uh, cognitive distortions because they're very, very common, like over-the-top common. And they don't, they're not really wildly helpful in life. So it's something that people can address. So if you were a minimizer, you might minimize the situation and not, therefore hold back tears. Uh, a belief that crying means you are not put together. And I'm not sure how common that is, but I think it's reasonably common. And that's a myth. Crying doesn't mean in any capacity that you're not put together and you don't have your life together. Being a psychopath or being hollow inside or having no soul would leave you not to cry because you have no empathy and you really are empty. And lastly, having too much going on and having to set aside pain for later is a reason not to cry or set aside tears, and I'm going to talk about that later. And I, I would, it would be incomplete for me not to mention that there are several medical reasons why some people can't cry or don't cry. I'm not getting into that, but I think it's important for you to understand that some people actually have a medical condition that prevents crying. So I don't want to skip over that because, you know, if you're dealing with someone who never cries, you know, they might have a medical condition, so give them a break. All right, so the next piece I want to talk about, I find very interesting, is crying or tears as a sign of, uh, as a signal for anger or frustration. And I have to tell you, so I found out in like 2006, roughly, that I didn't have any anger skills. Like I was absent anger skills, like big time, like I didn't have negative anger skills because I wasn't passive aggressive, but I just lacked, completely lacked anger skills which for me was like kind of this wow, aha moment. And as I began the journey 
on anger, which I do. I have a podcast about the healing nature of anger, and I talk about this and that in that podcast. I'm not going to get into this now in this podcast, but one of my signals early on as I was growing and developing my anger skills was that sometimes I would cry when I was really anger, angry. Like, like who knew? And, it, and it's interesting because that's probably a little bit more common than we think as well. I was talking to someone, someone I don't know, a stranger, like last month, about tears and anger and all this stuff. And, and they said, oh, I just realized that about myself really recently, that sometimes when I'm crying, it's not because I'm sad happy it's because I'm really angry so it's important for you to know that some tears or some crying could be anger based or based in frustration or resentment that you haven't that you're not aware of that you're not awake and aware of now if you're awake and aware that you're crying is because you're angry that's a hallelujah celebrate yourself for that but the next piece for you if you cry when you're angry or really frustrated is to grow your anger skills because you're kind of at the beginning so tears or crying could be a signal for anger frustration or some other uh, emotion in that genre that genre of feelings so the next piece I want to talk about is something we don't typically talk about. Of course, that is kind of what I do in all of my podcasts. I talk about all the things we don't talk about because the talking about them will help make a difference and not talking about them makes no difference. So the next piece is getting teary-eyed or crying when what you are, what you think you're crying about is not actually what you're crying about. So I find this very fascinating and it's been true for me so sometimes when someone is crying and it seems like the crying or the tears are possibly disproportionate to the situation they could be crying about something entirely different something that's not distinguished to them. I kind of, by the way, think this is a little bit on the advanced skill set side for emotions. I can't say that for sure, but I think so. So if you're crying, if you're not crying because of anger or frustration, like if you're crying because something sad or something upsetting or, you know, some loss, and your crying seems like a little excessive to the situation at hand, it could be some grief from the past, something that you didn't fully grieve or grieve properly. So this has not only happened to myself, this has happened to other people. Like this, you know, I don't do podcasts about things only I do. I have to do podcasts about things that are proven, known, work, and that means I work with lots of people. So I have worked with people where we distinguish, oh, yeah, their their emotions are, are way out of line with the situation and it's really something else. Which, by the way, happens with not just crying and tears, but anger and, and other emotions. So, you know, one way... Um, well, I, I want to just give you an example. Because <laughs> you already know I've had like 
seven plus significant life challenges. And you already know from the beginning of this podcast, I haven't grieved all of it fully because I have to be functional in life. So uh, I was watching this really touching, heartwarming episode of a show. I won't mention which show, but anyway, there were these two young people who'd kind of fallen in love and they were going to, they were going to, you know, finally meet up and get together and I really got teary-eyed and then I started to cry and I had this aha moment like okay I don't even know these people we don't know how it's going to end I think my tears might be over or in excess to the moment so then I could realize you know I had my little aha moment and I realized that I was really crying about the loss of someone else that I loved so it's just helpful for you to have the concept that sometimes what you're crying about isn't actually what you're crying about. You might have started to cry about something, but then it's actually something deeper. And uh, I could give you more examples, but I think you get the idea. So the next piece I want to touch on lightly is our cultural and societal response to tears and crying. Because I really want you to, to get the, the magnitude of what's going on. Because we as a society have the potential to change the future collectively and together if we work together. So culturally or in society, we are really not good with crying or tears. We're not good with anger. We're not good with the what I call, what I've labeled, the difficult emotions. And the difficult emotions are sadness, grief, loss, death, anger, resentment, betrayal, you know, rejection, fear. We're just those are what I call the difficult emotions, and we're really pretty much not good with them as a culture or as a society. So. How, what does this look like in real life? Well, what it looks like in real life is that, you know, there's a stranger out in public crying or sobbing, either one, and people don't know what to do. So there's not this big rush of people coming over to them to comfort them or console them or ask them, you know, what's going on or how can I help you or what do you need? I mean, this happened... This happens on a regular basis, and of course, I am the person to go up to say, oh, what's going on? How can I help you? What do you need? And, uh, you know, it's, it's you can kind of feel the discomfort if it's in a public setting. And this actually happened, oh, in the last year at a store, and and everyone just stood there. Everyone just stood there watching this poor woman crying and I just went up to her and kind of put my arm around her and said hey um I know I don't know you but I'm here and you know how can I help you and had this conversation and well it turned out she had had experienced the death of her husband and so you know she was going through the grief and then you know I could take her aside and you know talk to her but we as a culture we as a group we as society we're terrible at this and, and we're not just terrible at it. We actually discourage crying. I mean, if you think about how, you know, when a little kid falls and they skin their knee and they start to cry, what's oftentimes the first thing someone says? Oh, don't cry. Like, we say that to children. We especially say that to men. And we say that to people all, all, all the time. In fact, yesterday someone said that to me because I said, oh, I can't really talk about that because I would get emotional. I might cry. And they were like, oh, my God, don't do that. Don't cry. 
Like we just have this don't cry. And and part of the big reason about this, in my opinion, in my expert opinion, is because we in the world, we as society, we don't have high emotional intelligence or we don't have enough people who have really high emotional intelligence. So we're not good with our emotions. So we, we retreat, we, we are, we are completely uncomfortable. I mean, I'm not uncomfortable. Uh, I'm actually very comfortable. I don't like to cry in public though. I will tell you, I don't like that. I, I, I do it. I've done it. Oh, I've done it many times. I mean, I cried to the librarians at the UB medical school and <laughs> I was going up there doing research for someone I loved who was not expected to live. And yeah, I mean, it just was what it was. So, you know, what would be fantastic and amazing would be to have individuals, individual people get to work on their own emotional abilities because that will expand things and help it to grow. Now, just to give you a glimpse into a possible future, uh, there are some cities in Japan that now have what are called crying clubs. I mean, they have a Japanese word for it. That's not it, but I don't really care about the name, the Japanese name, but Basically, the translation is a crying club. And this is where people get together to cry. Now, I will tell you uh, that they have a tearjerker that they show people before they begin crying. So so it's uh, it's cathartic. And and so, so woohoo for Japan for making some inroads to start to acknowledge the, the benefit of tears and create a collective space where people can go to cry. I don't see that happening in many places in the world, but hey, I'm a dreamer, so it's possible. The next thing I want to share with you is uh, what I would call one religious view or perspective on crying. So years ago, I did for a long time small favors for a set of cloistered nuns in Buffalo. So uh, that meant that I had an occasion now or then to talk to them. Like, what do you need? You want me to go to the store? Does somebody need a ride? What have you? What's your next co-op order? And one time when I was talking to one of the sisters, I was expressing my dismay that I had gotten teary-eyed and or cried in front of a high-ranking New York State Department person. Uh, a director and and I was just kind of like dealing with a little bit of embarrassment and shame about the fact that I didn't hold it together and her response was very interesting and memorable because I've carried it forward since that day which was that when tears come or you start crying those are God's tears and they are cleansing for the heart, the mind, the soul, and the body, and we should just allow them. So I love that. I mean, I just, I still love it. I think it's amazing, and I think it, there's a, just a tremendous amount of truth to it. I also happen to be religious, so of course I would love it. But I think, you know, when you look at nuns that are cloistered, that's all they do is pray and and get immersed in in the Bible and religion, so I, I found it helpful. So that's one religious take on it, just to give you the full, we want to give you the full complement of things related to tears. 
Now I want to talk to you about the benefits of, the, of tears or crying. So we know there's some benefits, and I think the research is kind of a little um, not as clear and not as compelling as in some other areas. But I'm just going to go through a list of 10 benefits that the research supports, um, even though I would consider the research on tears and crying to be in its infancy at best, like in its infancy at best, maybe what's pre-infancy, I don't know, in, in something. All right, so according to what I looked at research-wise, the benefits of tears including release, it releases stress, it releases emotional pain, emotional tears as opposed to the other two kinds are known to flush out stress hormones and toxins out of the body. So there's the cleansing part. Uh, we do know that tears release oxytocin endorphins. And, the, and oxytocin is like the feel-good chemical. And so it's a mood enhancer if you let yourself cry and go through the tears because of the re release of oxytocin. Uh, it does, according to the research, help ease physical pain and emotional pain. And according to C Steven Siderhoff, who is a PhD psychologist at UCLA, and he's also the director of the Raoul Wallenberg Institute of Ethics, uh, his position is that it activates the body in a healthy way, like it activates the whole body in a healthy, positive way. The other piece about tears is that tears contain lysozyme, which is an enzyme that catalyzes the destruction of cell walls in certain bacteria. And so what that means, translating, translating that, what it means is that tears can help kill bacteria. And we do know from the research, even though it's in its infancy at best, is that tears have some powerful antimicrobial properties. It's also suggested that tears or crying help with sleeping. It's definitely critical to the grieving process. And it is suggested from the research that it helps with emotional regulation. Well, that last one, the emotional regulation, I would definitely support that and believe that. It's just that the research is just like not there. It's just research on tears and crying is like almost nothing. So there's 10 benefits. So the next piece I want to talk about, which I think is very important and might get a negative rap from some people, is the ability to set aside tears or crying or grief for a future date. So there, there are good, valid, rational, and reasonable times when setting aside your tears or crying or your grief for that matter for a future date would be appropriate would actually be healthy and helpful so so i want to give you an example because i i think examples are very telling so um quite some long time ago i had a three-year-old yellow lab named zach who i loved he was my buddy he was like my bestie and it was just it was like an amazing dog, and uh, unfortunately, he um, ended up getting blood cancer, and that was just devastating to me. I mean, we'd had a tumor removed, and and uh, but it turned out that 
he had blood cancer. And so I had to have him put down. Well, the, the issue was that I was seven or eight months pregnant with my second child. My first child had passed away in utero when I was six months pregnant. So here I am pregnant again with one child I've already lost. Like I already lost one baby whose DNA, chromosomes, and placenta were 100% perfectly normal. So here I am now pregnant with my second baby, losing my, my beloved dog, and of course crying like crazy. And I just made a decision that I was going to have to set aside my grief for a later date because it wasn't good for my baby and it wasn't good for me because I just couldn't take the risk of endangering my baby by being so grief stricken. And I was deeply grief stricken. I mean, I was just devastated. So I set aside my grief. Like I consciously made that decision that I was just going to have to grieve for Zach later because it just wasn't appropriate or safe for me to go through that kind of deep grief while I was pregnant. So I got through the pregnancy. I had a lovely baby, healthy baby boy. And then later, you know, slowly, I really, I mean, I grieved him completely. I think at, at, at three years after he had passed, I think I was, I was teary-eyed about something and noticing, wow, yeah, I'm still going through the grief because it was just terrible, but it was important. And I think you can see from that example, I think that was a very wise decision on my part. And, um, so did I cry? Oh, I cried like a baby. And for quite some time, I just didn't do it right there in that moment. So there are times where you have to set aside crying or set aside tears or set aside grief to be able to get through life and deal with other things that are at hand. And I think they call that compartmentalizing in therapy. And I think it gets a bad response, like it's a defense mechanism. However, my assertion is that when you make a cognitive intellectual decision based on rational, real facts, and, you know, you've weighed the pros and cons, then I think that's like a genius move. Like, I think it was a, a very good move on my part. Oh, I grieved my beloved Zach. I mean, yes, I did. Kept his teeth forever. You know, like, I went through the process over time. I just didn't do it in the spot. So sometimes you just need to set things aside. My next point, because we're talking about crying and we're talking about tears, is living life with no regrets. So the benefit of living life with no regrets is it will reduce the opportunities where you have to cry and you get teary-eyed because oftentimes our tears, our grief, our, our crying has to do with regret. I read a long time ago, um, I don't remember if it was in one of Bernie Siegel's books or it might have been in the book Remarkable Recovery back in the day. I mean, those are not new books. Those are old books um, about people facing death. And one of the big things they talked about was the regrets they had. So of all the things someone who was dying or on the brink of death could talk about, one of the most frequent topics 
was regret. So if you live your life with no regrets, if you say what there is to say, do what there is to do, you know, do what you want to do, you will have less grief and less sadness and more happiness because you don't have those regrets. I was talking about um, the passing of my mother in the Power of Finishing Things podcast. And yes, I'm still grieving her, but guess what? There's no regret in my grief and my loss of my mother because I said everything I had to say. I did everything with her. I did everything I could for her. There is zero regret when it comes to my mother. So my grief is really different because I'm not grieving regret. And in my upcoming podcast on death, you know, I'll be talking about different kinds of regrets. So when you live your life with no regret, of course, I also think that also means, you know, um, not living like you have forever, because that's one of the problems is we live, we think we have forever, so we put things off. But if you live your life with no regrets, I mean, what would you regret right now if, if the people you love weren't around? You will minimize the necessity of grief, the amount of grief, the severity of grief, and the amount of times you have to cry or be teary-eyed. And I think that's powerful. I think that's a very powerful way to live. So the next piece I want to cover is some steps to start growing your emotional abilities because this is so wonderful. It's so amazing. It's so powerful. So number one, allow yourself to cry when the tears come and feel the feelings associated or as I already mentioned, you might have to make a decision to set it aside and if you do, then make sure you get back to it. Don't like set it aside and then just Put, you know, put the rug over it. So this might mean that you might have to tell yourself that crying isn't a bad thing. It might have to tell, you might have to tell yourself that crying is a good thing. You might have to adjust your perspective, which is the second suggestion. You know, adjust your perspective or your view or your judgments about crying in tears if that's what's needed. I would suggest it's needed for, for quite a few people, but, you know, have a view of a positive thing for tears and crying. You know, the next suggestion I have is consider your life up until this point. So, like, up until now, where you are right now, have you grieved all of your losses? I have to tell you, we're not very good at grief We're not in society. We're not good at sadness. We're not good at what I call those difficult emotions, as I mentioned earlier. And sometimes people have, as I have, as I am right now, have several significant painful life challenges that happen in short order or in a short window of time. So you really can't grieve all of go through all the grief because it's too much. It's too much for one person at one time. So sometimes you have to set it aside. But if you took a moment and you were introspective and you paused and you looked back on your life, have you grieved all of your losses? I don't know, but it's helpful to consider because there may be more grief to go through and grief is not linear. It's not like it starts and then it ends. Grief is a process, and there are people I have loved that died 
you know, a long time ago, and I still miss them because they were amazing, and I really loved them. So that's something to consider. Just pause and look at it. Like, did you did you grieve everything? Is there grief? Are there more tears or crying that are there to be done? And if so, allow it. The next suggestion is to get on the road to happiness. Now, that might seem like kind of a mismatch for the topic of tears and crying, but I think you got the idea from what I said earlier. If you're living a life with no regrets and you're saying what there is to say, doing what there is to do, feeling your emotions, and you've grown your emotional abilities, then, you know, of course happiness makes sense. All of those things will reduce your crying and tears and help you be happier. And by the way, so I just did a three-part podcast series on, it's called A Crash Course in Happiness. And I covered in the three different podcasts altogether, roughly 37 elements or aspects of life that I feel are critical if you want to be really happy in life. They're just critical. I mean, so the more you can get on the road to happiness, that means you're going to be building skills. It means you're going to be learning things. It's going to be, you know, that you're setting up boundaries and things that are really healthy and helpful to you. And that's going to reduce any grief in the future. And it's going to reduce the amount of times where you feel like crying. And of course, I'm not, I'm not against crying. I'm a fan of crying, but I'm also a fan of living life to be not having problems I don't need to deal with. So get on the road to happiness because it's going to help you build skills, abilities, practices, habits, empowering attitudes and beliefs. And that's going to, you know, that's going to really help you with tears and crying. My next suggestion is, is one I love. I love this which is to grow your emotions to be a superpower because here's the deal. Emotions are your superpower. It's just that you haven't figured out that they are a superpower or how to use them. And I, my second podcast is emotions as your superpower. I have actually several podcasts that will help you grow your emotional abilities, but they are a superpower. And so you want to have emotions as a superpower. You want to learn how to use them. You want to learn how to navigate managing and processing your emotions, which apparently is so difficult and convoluted that, you know, people don't even write about it. So my podcast on that will help you. But anyway, grow your emotions to be your superpower. My next suggestion is, you know, to create a team, create a buddy to make your life amazing and their life amazing Because life is so much better when you have a partner or a buddy or friends or you create a team. Like you want to go on a great journey in life and, and make it fun and enjoyable. I mean, life is so hard. I don't know why you wouldn't want it to be more fun and enjoyable. I just, I just, don't really understand that, except for you don't know how. And I'm showing you how. I'm, I'm sharing with you how. These are what you have to learn and do. Um, and make it fun. Like, I'm wildly a fan of fun. And so those are my suggestions 
in the area of tears and crying and hoping, I'm hoping and praying that, you know, culturally we can start, if we grow individually, that will change the culture and society. So let me give you my takeaways. Number one, it's time to recognize that crying and tears are not bad for you. It's just not bad for you. And number two, it's time for you to let yourself start feeling your emotions, and I don't mean just the happy ones. We're really good at feeling happy emotions. We are not good with the difficult ones, so it's time to feel all of your emotions. Takeaway number three is it's time to get on the road of growth and development because that's the access to love and happiness and all the good stuff, and isn't that what you want? Yes, that is what you want. You just don't, might not know how to get there, and I'm here to help you get there. For my call to action, it's time to bring happiness into your life and all the skills and abilities and things that lead to happiness. And it's time to take people with you. Yes, take no prisoners. Take people with you. I mean, come on. I do that all the time. <laughs> like, oh, why not? It's just way more fun that way. And my last call to action is share this podcast with the people you love and the people you care about because it will make a difference. That's all for now. I'm Lisa Lundy saying thank you for listening to my Love Life podcast, episode number 53, The Power of Tears and Crying. I hope you're going to allow yourself some tears and crying and get to work on growing your emotional abilities because that will be very helpful. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe so you get the new ones automatically. And please don't forget to visit my website to enter my giveaway at www.lisaalundy.com. That's all for now. Take care. Love you. Bye-bye.